Hello, thanks for listening to this Aspen podcast discussing the paper Effect of Blenderized Tube Feedings on Gastric Emptying, a Retrospective Cohort Study. My name is Kenneth Christopher, and I am Editor-in-Chief of JPEN. Today, I am delighted to welcome Dr. Bridget Rohn from the Division of Gastroenterology, Hepatology, and Nutrition at Boston Children's Hospital. Dr. Rohn is a general pediatric gastroenterologist with a focus in nutrition and a clinical scientist who serves on the editorial board of JPEN. Dr. Rohn is the first author of the JPEN article we will discuss. Dr. Rohn, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. My first question is about the motivation to do the study. What motivated you to do all of this incredible work? And I say incredible because I think your study is fantastic. What motivated you to do the study? Thank you. We were motivated in a variety of ways. So we've been interested in blenderized tube feeds now for a while. And I, I say we, meaning my collaborators at Boston Children's Hospital, including my mentor, Dr. Rosen. We previously showed that blenderized tube feeds were associated with improved health outcomes. And really the purpose of my career now is to understand why is it that blenderized tube feeds are associated with improved outcomes. We've also heard, though, some concern that because blenderized tube feeds are thicker in viscosity, that they could, in theory, prolong gastric emptying, which would be surprising because we tend to see that these are better tolerated. So the purpose of this study was really to quantify what are the effects of blenderized tube feeds on gastric emptying. Interesting. Why did you choose your specific study design? Yes. So we decided to do a retrospective cohort study. And the reason we chose that is that we knew that we had a large number of children who had already undergone gastric emptying scans for clinical purposes for symptoms of feeding intolerance, for example. So we thought this was a great cohort to study without requiring additional patients to be recruited. And we were able to do it in a expeditious manner. So this is data that you knew existed because you had taken care of patients who had had gastric emptying studies. Is that right? Exactly. That's exactly correct. So that is a convenient sample, of course, mm -hmm. but it's an interesting sample because it's so specific. What do you think was the most difficult part of completing the study? I think for me, the most difficult part of completing this study was the fact that I did not know exactly the viscosity of these feeds at the time of the administration. Because this was a retrospective study, I found that to be a bit challenging. In a perfect world, we would measure the viscosity prior to administration, and then we could really characterize the importance of viscosity on gastric emptying. So that's interesting. So the viscosity of the actual let's say, two feeds that you can get uh, off the shelf would be known, but the viscosity of the blenderized would, of course, depend on the individual constituents, which may vary from day to day, even on the same blenderized feed. That is exactly correct, yes. So how did you deal with that uncertainty? How did you deal with that viscosity issue? Yes, so really, you know, I think from this study, we're not able to tell the effects of viscosity. And I think that's one of its limitations. And I do actually have a study right now that I'm doing that is funded by the NIH, where we're looking at the effect of viscosity on gastric emptying. So we definitely plan to address that in the future. 
I do think that is an important consideration. So the the challenge and the obstacle became an opportunity. Exactly. Which is a wonderful way for research to go. Absolutely. And in your study, what was your most surprising findings? That's a great question. I think we were not surprised to see that there were no differences in rates of delayed gastric emptying. I will say I was a little surprised to learn that percent gastric residual was slightly higher in the blenderized tube feeds. But as we really analyzed the data in more detail, we realized something that should not have been a surprise, but was surprising in the moment. Patients who were on blenderized tube feeds were getting more volume because they could tolerate higher volumes. And it turns out that those higher volumes they were receiving actually were highly correlated with that higher percent residual. So that was explaining why the percent residual appeared to be slightly longer, but really that was not resulting in a clinically significant delay in gastric emptying. That's interesting. Would you anticipate that the gastric emptying delay would be uh, causally associated with uh, residual? We use the threshold for delayed gastric emptying as percent residual greater than 60%. They're correlated in terms of the cutoff of 60%. That sounds reasonable. And if you had to do the study over, what would you change? I would love to do the study in a prospective way, um, which obviously we could not do with this retrospective study. But in a prospective way, I would, as I mentioned, characterize the viscosity, but I would also really fine tune the details of the diet so I understand exactly what patients are receiving. And then the last thing I would do differently is, again, in a prospective study, I would love to match the volume of administration for the two different tube feeds, formula versus blend, and see if there are any differences in gastric emptying. That's very interesting. We'll get to what you're studying next in my last question, because I'm very interested in asking how you have created new research based on this particular study. But... Before I do that, I'll ask you, what advice do you have for other investigators now that you have completed a difficult study and had your paper accepted and it will be in press shortly? What advice do you have for others? For me, perseverance is key. And I have a little slip of paper in my office that says the secret of success is constancy of purpose. I look at it all of the time to remind myself of what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And I think I've, at this point in my career, I've gotten very used to rejection. And I just have confidence that if I keep at this, I will get to where I need to be. I do a, a lot of clinical research education. And one of my central tenets to, for my students is rejection is always. Every paper you write will at least be rejected once. So even though it stings and it's not that fun, sometimes there's good comments in the rejections, but the point being is, is that the perseverance is everything. And if you can tolerate getting one, going through the, the experience of even getting one paper published, then you have to ask yourself, do I want to do this again? And if the answer is yes, then you'll be successful because of your own perseverance. So that's a, I like that particular quote. Now, getting to what you're studying now, I'm interested in the transition between this study and the grant that you wrote for your NIH funding to study what is next. So could you fill me in in terms of 
that particular process and what you're actually studying next. Absolutely. I'm really excited about this study that we are actually about to launch right now. Uh, so this is a study where we're comparing two different diets that are blenderized tube feeds that vary in viscosity, but are otherwise matched in terms of macronutrient composition. So we're basically taking a commercially available blenderized tube feed and diluting it and rescuing the calories uh, with other ingredients. We're giving these to patients who have feeding intolerance in a very novel N of one clinical trial design. So our hope is that we're able to understand if there are differences in symptoms between patients when they're on a mild or moderately thick diet versus an extremely thick diet. And we're also planning on looking at gastric emptying and whether there are differences in gastric emptying, controlling for many of the issues that I mentioned before. That's fantastic. And this is something that you're going to be enrolling or begin rolling out momentarily soon in the next year or so. My hope is in the next month, we have gone through the IRB, which as you know, can be a lengthy process and we've done all of our legwork. So I'm hoping to launch this momentarily. That's absolutely fantastic. When do you think this new study will be published? Oh, that's a great question. My hope is I'll complete the data collection for that study in the next three years, and then it should be published shortly thereafter. We'll see. And the emphasis is on shortly, hopefully, <laughs> because the publication process, although we try JPEN to be as fast as possible, we're also quite detailed. So it is, uh, it is a process, but it's a, it's a fantastic example of what you can do with a retrospective study and the results from a retrospective study can influence your next project and the next project itself could be designed to answer the particular questions that were impossible to answer with a retrospective design. So thank you to Dr. Rohn for your experience and expertise. It was absolutely a delight to discuss your paper. And we also want to thank you, our audience, for listening to this Aspen podcast. To support what we do, please share, subscribe, and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Thank you for listening. This is Kenneth Christopher signing off from Boston. Take care, everybody. Mm -hmm.